Psalm chapter 27 and verse 4. Everybody doing okay? Good Thanksgiving? A little turkey hangover? Psalm 27 verse 4, and this is how the text reads. It says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Pray with me if you would. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and God. In uh, the words of John the Baptist, uh, I pray less of me, more of you. Um, let me become, lest you become great. Move in our midst to remind us today of the, the value of, of getting to rest in your presence. Just to, to pause and to be reminded of who you are. Allow us to, to, to rest in the spirit and in your glory and to be reinvigorated by those things, to be resurrected by those things. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's say that you are uh, walking in the woods and as you're walking in the woods, you come upon a magic lamp and you pick the lamp up and you rub it and a genie pops out, and the genie offers to grant you three wishes, whatever it is that you might ask. What, what, would, you, what would you wish for? What would you wish for? Somebody say it. What, yeah, yeah. So I asked my son Langston this question last night. Same scenario. I said, lamp, genie, woods, three wishes. What would you ask for? These were his three wishes. Wish number one, he said he wished that uh, some WWE superstars would come and visit our house so he could wrestle with them. He thought that that would be a lot of fun. Uh, wish number two, he said he thought it would be pretty cool to meet Jesus. Uh, I think maybe he was looking for a tag team partner. And then wish number three, he said that he wished that he and Riggs could have a TV in their bedroom. Which I thought was a very practical, I mean, if you got three wishes, I thought that's a very practical thing to, to ask for. But, you know, what, what would you ask for? Maybe I, I heard several of you say money. You probably would. Probably ask for a significant sum of money. The kind of money that would lead to generational wealth in your family. Or maybe you would ask for, like, a, a, a significant other. Like, maybe you're asking for you, you, the, the man or woman of, of your dreams. You, you'd like to have them. Or maybe you know, you'd like to be famous. And so you'd ask to be some kind of like rock star or star athlete or famous YouTuber or something like that. I don't know. Or maybe you'd use a couple of wishes on you and then feeling kind of philanthropic, you would ask, you know, the genie to like end world hunger or to do something for other people. Um, at this point in the the first service, Andy Coleman shouted out and said, I would ask for more wishes, you know, which is obviously the, uh, that's kind of the, the, the trick right there. Now, that may seem like a, a silly question uh, at first, uh, but in reality, I think it can be pretty revealing of our idols because it, it kind of lets us know what lies just underneath the surface, what thoughts we have that we think, if I just had that, then I would be happy. If I just had that, I would be content. If I just had that job, that girl, that boat, that house, that truck, that guitar, a little bit more money in my bank account, like if I could just get my hands on those things, then happiness would certainly come. Some of you, um, and this could be dangerous, I recognize, 
if you would allow me to have your phone and to check your uh, Google search history, I think that would be pretty revealing of the more that you often see. You know, because what is it that you like lay in bed at night and you're scrolling through your phone and you're looking at, you know, different houses or maybe you're looking at newer vehicles or maybe I, I look at shoes sometimes, you know, whatever, like whatever your thing is, like you lay there and you're scrolling, you're like, man, that would be, I'd like to have, I would love to have those things. Maybe you scroll through dating sites. Like, I, I don't know what your thing is, but I do know this. Charles Spurgeon says this. He said, if you're not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied if it were doubled. Isn't that interesting? If you're not content with what you have, you wouldn't be satisfied if it were doubled. If you're not content with this, probably won't be content with that. David here in Psalm 27, and Colby quoted this verse last week, and he certainly did it much more eloquently than I will be, ever be able to do. But David essentially says, this one thing I ask of the Lord, and this I will seek. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to be able to gaze upon his beauty. I want to be able to inquire of him at his temple. That's one of mine. It's no problem. That's what, anytime I use them in an ad, they're gone. You know, that's how that works. In this text, we find out what David's three wishes would be. And I think they're very powerful. Wish number one, he says, I want to be able to constantly dwell in God's presence. Wish number two, he says, I want to constantly be able to gaze at God's beauty. And then wish number three, he says, I just want to be able to talk to God any time that I want. Now, when we read the Psalms, what we're reading is from David's private prayer journal. Like, I really don't think that David thought when he wrote all these things down that eventually they would be published, and certainly not as distributed as they have been, that we would be reading them like 2,500, 3,000 years later. I'm assured that he didn't know that because if he did, I think he would have done a better job of editing them to make him look better. Because in reality, uh, a lot of the Psalms paint David in so not such a good light. When we read the Psalms, we are, uh, have been granted access, in a lot of ways, to David's diary. And I only say that because I want you to understand that when David wrote these words, he wasn't trying to impress anybody. Like he didn't write them down knowing that we'd be reading them years later thinking, oh man, he's so much holier than us. I mean, look at what his three wishes are compared to what my three wishes are. No, he wrote these words down because he believed they were true. He believed honestly that there was no better place to be than in the presence of God. He believed honestly that there was nothing more beautiful with which to set his gaze upon than God. He believed that there was no one that was worth talking to more than being able to speak with God. David was a king, and he had experienced all the pleasures of this world. He had power. Kingdoms rose and fell when David gave the word. He had material possessions. He had money. All that a, a person could want at one time or another, David had access to those things. He had experienced the praise of men. I mean, even now when people talk about David years later, he's known as one of the greatest, most humble, most godly leaders who ever lived. He had a great reputation. And yet David still says in this text, this one thing I ask, forget about the power and the praise and the paper. I just want the presence. That's all I want. It's his presence. David's saying, I just want to be able to live full time in the presence of my God. It's David's request. 
first year I was serving here at the church for a long time, and some of y'all will remember this because some of y'all were around before me, uh, the church had a tradition where the Zimmerman clan, uh, on Christmas Eve, they would come together and lead a small Christmas Eve service. Now, it was a pretty low-attended service because a lot of y'all have family things that you do on Christmas Eve. But what they would do is they'd come together, and there were refreshments, and they would have, like, coffee and cookies and stuff like that, and they would sing some worship songs and some Christmas carols. And it was really just kind of this laid-back thing that they did that they really enjoyed doing. But in my first year here, we had advertised that, and as we got closer to that date, the Zimmermans decided that they were going to go spend Christmas in Texas with Mark's mom. And so he called me and he said, hey, would you be, do you want us to cancel this service or would you like to, to go on and have it? And I go, well, we can certainly go on and have it, but I can't sing a lick. Like there's no way that it's going to look like what it looked like, you know, if you, if you all were leading it. But it's like, I'll be happy to do it. And so uh, I, I just decided, I was like, we're going to still get together that night and I'm just going to make it a more prayer focused night. Like, we'll come together, and we'll read the Word, and we will pray, and there'll be a significant moment of silence in that time, and the hope would be that we would be given space in that moment, our people, to connect with God. Now, maybe this seems like a crazy idea to you, but the thought I had was, if the next day was Jesus' birthday, maybe it would be a good idea to set aside some time for Jesus. Crazy, I know, right? So, that's, that's what we did that night. It was, it was more solemn. It was quiet. It was, it was prayerful. And as we, uh, it went okay, right? And as we're leaving the place, uh, like I'm in the hallway, and I can hear people exiting, and, and people are grumbling, you know? Like I can hear people talking about, man, I, I really, I miss the cookies. I miss the carols. I miss the tradition that we, that, that we usually had, you know? And I, in my head, I'm thinking, I agree with you. I mean, like, look at me. I clearly like cookies, right, and, and, and coffee and carols, and I absolutely adore the Zimmerman family. But listen to me, church. If the church gets to the place where we are more satisfied with cookies than with Christ, we are in error. If the church gets to the place where we enjoy the lights more than the love, we enjoy hearing ourselves talk and saying hearing the words more than we enjoy hearing God's word, then we are in dire straits. We are in a bad situation. David says in this text, this one thing I ask, and I want to seek it. I just want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's why the word dwell is our theme for this Advent season because it's my hope, it's our staff's hope, it's our elders' hope, it's our prayer for the season that our church would begin to really value what it means to dwell in God's presence, to rest in his presence, to pause in his presence. And I know some of you are thinking, you know, you're looking at this Christmas and you're like, ah, this one's not going to look like any of the other ones have looked before. This one's going to be different. I mean, maybe you don't get to gather with the people that you usually get gathered with or for whatever reason, it's not going to look the same. Well, listen, maybe it's okay if it doesn't look the same. Maybe it doesn't need to look the same. Maybe we need to take our eyes off of our things and place them on our king. Turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we're going to look at the first 14 verses. This is the story of the incarnation. Beautiful, poetic passage of scripture. And this is how the text reads. 
It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcoming. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Imagine with me for a moment, church, if you would, that uh, God is in this can. I want you to imagine that God is in this can. And so this is his dwelling place, this can. If you want to meet with God, you've got to come to the can. You want to worship God, you have to come to the can. You want to talk with God, you have to come to the can because this is the place he dwells. Now, you can understand that if that was true, uh, it would be pretty dangerous, you know. It would be a lot of responsibility to be the keeper of the can, right? Because if somebody were to break in and to steal the can or to murder me and just take the, the can, then there are a whole lot of people who would lose access to God. People who have access to it, they might lose that access. Now, I understand that that is a ridiculous thought, but it's really not all that different than the way the, view, the Jews in the ancient world viewed the temple. Now, of course, the temple was much bigger than the, the can that I'm holding up, but it was still just a big closed off building. And they believed that if you wanted to meet with God, you had to go to the temple. You wanted to worship God, you had to go to the temple, you wanted to talk with God, you had to go to the temple. The temple was the place that the presence of God dwelled. It's the place that he moved. You wanted to interact with him, you had to go to that place. And that's why the, the Jews and the Israelites were committed to protecting the temple at all costs because if the temple were to be destroyed, if it fell into the wrong hands, then there are a whole lot of people who would lose access to God. Now, church, what we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas, what we celebrate when we celebrate Advent, what we celebrate when we celebrate the Incarnation is that Jesus opened the can. He, he, he took the lid off. And if you really want to follow this analogy the best that you possibly can, it looks a little something like this. Like when Jesus breathed his, his first breath in the world, it opened the can a little bit. And then he, when he was crucified and the curtain in the Holy of Holies was torn, he opened a little bit more. And when the rock was moved away at the point of his resurrection, it moved a little bit more. And then when the Spirit fell at Pentecost, the whole can was opened up and the Spirit and presence of God were unleashed upon the world. At that moment, church, everything changed. People believe you want to worship God, you got to go to the temple. No, now the Bible says we live 
and move and have our being in his presence. That's because God came to this earth and he took the lid off. He opened the can up. He made a way when there was no way. One of the things that the Pharisees hated so much about Jesus and they were so frustrated by a lot of the religious leaders is that they made money off of the temple. That that system, that process, that's how they made a living. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and he's there to prove to the world that God works outside of the temple. God's doing stuff outside of the box, and they didn't like that very much. I mean, think about it. Before Jesus, if people wanted to repent, they had to go to the temple. Jesus forgave people right in the middle of the street. Before Jesus, if people wanted to meet with God, they had to go to his house. Now Jesus was knocking on their doors and dining with them at their tables. Before Jesus, if people wanted to talk with God, they had to go through the high priest. They had to go through a certain process. Now they could meet with him in person. They could talk with him face to face. In Psalm 27, verse 4, we hear David saying, you got this one thing I ask, and I'm going to seek it. I just want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then in John chapter 1, verse 14, we see God's response to David's request. David could not get to God, so God came to him. We cannot get to God, so God came to us. Jesus came to dwell with us temporarily that we might be able to dwell in the presence of the Father eternally. One of the names that Jesus is sometimes called in the Bible, and we already sang it this morning, is that he, he is called Emmanuel. And the word Emmanuel means God with us. And I think it's pretty cool because the actual origin of that name for Jesus happens in a conversation between an angel and Joseph. So Mary gets pregnant. Mary and Joseph haven't been married yet, and the angel comes and appears to, to Joseph and explains to Joseph, this is what's going on with your betrothed. This is why in the coming months you're going to see her belly grow. And the angel actually goes a step further. He goes, and when the baby gets here, when your son gets here, um, people are going to call him Emmanuel, meaning when there are going to be times that you're going to be walking down the street arm in arm with your son and people are going to see you all pass and they're going to go, look, God is with us. He, he used to be only in the temple. He used to be in the can. But now he, he's walking right with us. Now he is in our midst. So what does that mean, God with us? What does that mean for us? That means there's never a day, there never has been a day, there never will be a day that we walk alone. There'll, there'll never be a day because of what Jesus did in opening the can, in the, 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 the rolling away of the rock, the sending of the Spirit at Pentecost, there will never be a day that we walk alone. There will never be a day that the presence of God isn't with us. One of the mistakes that I think we often make is that we try to put God back in the can. Like we try to think that he's in there and that I'm over here and he doesn't care about the things that I care about. It's one of the things that I, ways that I think Satan tries to enslave us is that he tries to put like a mental divine block in our minds so that we forget that God has been with us the whole time and that he will be with us forever. 
We forget that great promise of Jesus that he will never leave us or forsake us. We forget that he is with us at all times and in every way. For whatever reason, many of us, when we think about the past and we think about the future, we imagine a world where God either was absent or he will be absent. And I would argue that that is a really, that's a perspective that is really detrimental to our mental health. Because if when you consider your past, you see a past apart from Jesus, a past where Jesus was absent, you're going to walk in shame. If you consider a future and you think about what lies ahead and you see that future apart from Jesus, you're going to constantly walk in anxiety. We need to do the hard work of not just allowing God to come and dwell in our world. He's already done that. But we need to take the extra step of allowing God to come dwell in our minds, in our thoughts, in our memories, in our worries. This is what I mean. And I think this is really important. Some of you really struggle when you think about your past. You've you've left a trail of destruction behind. Like when you look at the way that you've lived up to this point, you've made a a, a ton of mistakes, you've hurt a lot of people, you've burned a lot of bridges, and when you think about your past, all you see are those mistakes. All you see are those memories. But why is it that when you think about your history, you don't include God in the story? Because we know he was there. We know that Emmanuel was with you. Sometimes all we need to do to heal past wounds is to place God back into the narrative. To remember that even in our mistakes, God was close. That even right there years ago, just as quick as you were sinning, God was forgiving. Our shame has a hard time sticking to us when we realize we never walked alone. There was never a day that we walked alone. We know God came to dwell in the world. We needed to take the next step of allowing him to dwell in our memories. And I know this applies to to many of you. We do the same thing when we think about the future. A lot of you, I know, struggle with a form of depression or anxiety or worry. A lot of you live a whole lot of your life just asking a bunch of what-if questions. You know, it's like, what what if I lose my job? What if somebody, what if something happens to somebody that I I love? What if my spouse decides he or she doesn't love me anymore? What if what little bit of money we have in the bank account runs out? What if our world never returns to normal? And when you think about the future, all you see are your fears and those worries. But why is it that when you think about what lies ahead, you remove God from the story because we know he will be there? The Bible is very clear that he goes before us. Emmanuel will be with you. Sometimes all we need to do to curb our anxiety for the future is to place God back into the narrative. To remember that no matter what happens in the future, Jesus will be walking with us and the Holy Spirit will be sustaining us. Our anxiety has a hard time sticking when we remind ourselves that we will never walk alone. We know that God came to dwell in our world. We need to allow him to dwell in our minds and in our worry. E.J. Gaines says it better than this. When we listen to this, this is what he says. 
He says, I recently read something that alluded to a bad habit in many of us. When we worry, we often neglect to include God in our imagined scenarios. He said, I felt the Spirit whisper, all these worries, and where have you placed God? We create such vivid pictures of impending pain, hardship, loss, and sadness, but we don't draw him. We write dramatic stories chronicling with detail the tragedies and failures that could come, but we don't write him in. If we're honest, I think it's because many of us have grown to care for our worries. That's why we feed them in our solitude, visit with them when everyone else is asleep, and check in with them when things are suspiciously going too well. Deep down, we know that the presence of God will shatter them. If we draw him in the picture, our precious worries fade. If we write him into the story, he leaps off the pages at us and we forget the terrors that have been consuming us. Worries come, and sometimes they are legitimized when they come to pass. But no matter what, God is present. That changes the entire picture and rewrites the entire story. All we have to do is place God in it. Church, if you think about your past apart from God, it's shame. If you think about your future apart from God, it is anxiety. If you will welcome him back into the narrative, it's all grace. It's all grace. Part of what I think it means to dwell in the presence of God is to recognize that your past has been forgiven and your future is secure. Because Jesus opened the can, you're clean and God's close. What, what more could you ask for? That's the spot that as we enter into the Advent season that I want our church, those what's not in the room, that's the spot I want you to rest in that spot where you feel secure in your forgiveness and secure in the hope that lies ahead. You know, Su Suzanne read it today, dwell, all is well, all will end well. We know that from reading the scriptures. That's the sweet spot. That is the dwelling place. Living in that space between I'm clean and God's close. That's the spot we want to dwell in, rest in, pause in. Now, because Jesus took the lid off the can, opened the temple's doors, we have access to all the things that David asked for. All the things that he wished for they have been granted. We can constantly dwell in God's presence. We can constantly gaze at his beauty and we can talk with him anytime we want to. And I know that might not sound as good to you as cookies and Christmas carols, but let me assure you, it's pretty great. It is, it's pretty good. Pray with me. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and God, I pray that you would come and dwell with us. Open our eyes. Help us to see that there's plenty of room for all of us. That heaven's doors, heaven's doors the gates of heaven open really wide. And you, you welcome us all into the kingdom. You welcome us all around the throne of the king. There's space for us all. Help us to dwell there. God, I pray for those in the room who struggle with harsh memories and with shame. I pray that you would come to dwell in their memories. And for those who struggle with depression and anxiety, I pray that you would come and dwell in their worries. Help us not to imagine a past without you or a future without you because we know you came to be with us and you will always be with us. You are Emmanuel.
and we're grateful. Years ago, we would have had to go to a box, go to a temple, go to the can to meet with you. We don't have to do that now. We live and we move and we have our being in your presence. Awaken us to your presence. Help us to see you all around us. God, help our church to value dwelling and resting and pausing and finding peace in your presence. In your hands, God, this one thing we ask and we will seek to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.